Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And if you've been following the long and uh, curvy story of Tupac Shakur, you're in for a treat tonight. We've got some of the best guests. Of course, huge news in the world of music. As you know by now, an arrest has been made in the murder of legendary rapper Tupac Shakur, one of the last living witnesses to the fatal 1996 drive-by shooting of Tupac in Las Vegas, was charged just Friday uh, with murder, with use of a deadly weapon in the killing of the rapper. Uh, it is a long-awaited breakthrough in a case that has frustrated investigators and fascinated the public ever since the hip-hop icon was gunned down 27 years ago. Best guess, you know his face. Retired Las Vegas homicide detective Phil Ramos was present for Tupac Shakur's autopsy. So he knows, uh, we talked about it before this story broke, he saw Tupac. He can confirm that he did, in fact, die, contrary to some of those conspiracy theories that say that he and Biggie Smalls are on an island somewhere off of New Zealand hanging out. But uh, this man, Detective Ramos, saw it with his own eyes. And in his three-plus decade career at the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, Detective Ramos also worked undercover nar narcotics and infiltrated the Cuban mob. He's a three-time Las Vegas Police Officer of the Year and a native Las Vegan, and he was talking to Jeff off camera how it's just starting to cool off. And by cool, he means like 90 degrees instead of 120. So uh, the new face, uh, Kathy Scott, she comes to us from California. She's a Los Angeles Times and New York Times best-selling American true crime author. Not a lot of people can say that, L.A. Times and New York Times, and an investigative journalist, she wrote the biographies and true crime books, The Killing of Tupac Shakur and The Murder of Biggie Smalls. Both of them were bestsellers in the U.S. and the U.K. And uh, she was the first to report Tupac Shakur's death. So there you go. Uh, we're right at ground zero here. Her hip hop books are based on the drive by shootings that killed the rappers six months apart in the middle of what has been called the West Coast East Coast War. Each book, coincidentally, is de dedicated to the rapper's mother. So that is a, a nice touch. Jeff Wood, you've seen him before. He's a retired FBI special agent out of Boston. He was focused on gangs and gang violence, and that's why we brought him in, because no one knows that world better than Jeff Wood. Both of Jeff's parents served in Vietnam, where they met and eventually had baby Jeff, who's here today, all grown up and uh an army or military man retired, an FBI man retired. Jeff also, as I said, proudly served in the United States military. Quick programming note. Please support us on Patreon and as uh, or as a YouTube member. A lot of effort goes into these shows. We're putting on multiple, multiple hours a week and uh, got to pay the bills. So if you can support us on Patreon or YouTube, uh, that would help greatly. Uh, if you can't do that, I understand. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That goes a long way. I hardly mention this, but we are up and running and have been for some time on survivingthesurvivor.com. And uh, all our episodes, video episodes, are posted there. Uh, the merch store link is there. Everything is there. So check that out, including where to find me 
on Instagram at Surviving the Survivor and podcast at uh, Twitter at Podcast STS. So quick background and we'll jump right into it. Uh, it's pretty amazing, these uh, statistics that I came up with. But Tupac has actually been dead for longer than the 25 years he lived. Uh, he was born in East Harlem back on June 16th, 1971. It is hard to believe, but today he would be 52 years old, gone way too soon. Of course, he was known by his stage name, Tupac. He produced classic rap hits, including California Love, Dear Mama, Snoop Dogg once called him uh, revolutionary and the greatest rapper of all time. And there you see him, different photos of him. He had that magnetic smile. I wish I had those ripped abs. He had those too. Uh, it's hard to believe this. His career only lasted five years, but he sold over 75 million records worldwide. So think about that. 20 to 25 was his career. 75 million records. His 1996 album, All Eyes on Me, was certified as a diamond album. It includes hits like How Do You Want It? And I Ain't Mad At Ya. So there you go. So, um, Phil Ramos, you weren't... Um, at the scene the night of the murders, but you were at the autopsy uh, a few days later. It was the night of a Mike Tyson fight. Um, what was Vegas like in the 90s on the eve of a Tyson fight? Just kind of set the stage for us before we dive into it. Uh, it was, you know, Vegas was going through a, a big change, man. It was a carryover from the decadent 80s into the 90s. And, uh, you know, the Strip was a, a, an adult playground, and, and people by the millions come there and carry on, have a good time, and sometimes not a good time, and um, a lot of people leave their mark, uh, sometimes unwittingly, but um, it, it, was a, it was a big party all the time. Uh, you know, you could, I remember driving up and down the Strip in 20 minutes when I was in high school, going to work at the Stardust and now, man, you can't go a block in an hour. It's so crowded. But even back in the 90s, it was, you know, as the corporations were taking over all the resorts, it was um, it was becoming a different town than, than those of us who grew up here knew. It was, um, and, and, and this particular night was no exception. You know, Tyson fights were a huge draw all the time. Um, they didn't always bring in the, the most savory characters. Um, you know, there was an aspect to a Tyson fights that brought in a criminal element, and but that was just the nature of the beast. So um, that that's pretty much what happened that night. Uh, a lot of ugly happened from uh, a lot of people behaving in a pretty bad way. Uh, thank you to Mary Goff for the super sticker. Appreciate that. Kathy, what's the pup's name? We love dogs on STS. We, we usually have one. This is Joe. I have um, Huckleberry Finn here, too. He's sleeping. I Joe give him a I did have Truman Capote. He died, but um, she's Joe from Little Women. Uh, all, all authors, as I, as you know, you figure you would have. That's great. Um, so, Kathy, uh, by the way, find me a better panel than these three on Tupac, and I will give you all your money back. I'll tell you that right wow. now, Kathy. Thank the you. night of um, the night of this murder, this drive-by shooting, back on. Uh, September 13th, 90, 1996, Tupac was 25 years old, obviously one of the most uh, notorious uh, murders uh, in the rap world uh, still to this day. He was in a BMW BMW being driven by Suge Knight, who's now serving time himself. 
Uh, he was in a convoy, I think of about 10 cars. Where were you that night? What were you doing back then? Um, I was in bed and I got a call at about 1.30 or 2 in the morning um, from a source within the homicide unit who said, get up, go down to the strip. Um, there's a big rapper by the name of Tupac Shakur. He couldn't even pronounce his name, <laughs> um, Tupac Shakur. Um, and you need to get down there. So I just threw on my clothes, grabbed a notebook and paper, and I went down there. And I've been covering it ever since. And, and who were you working for at the time? And tell me, what was once you got down there, set the scene, what was it like uh, that evening? Well, um, I was a reporter. Uh, I was a police reporter at the Las Vegas Sun at the time, and um, but uh, there were a few um, a few forensics people, CSI people, still there. People meandering around the uh, there was still the car was there still with uh, yellow tape around it. So I basically. Mm -hmm observed the scene and you know all, all the you know the major players most of them were gone but I didn't because uh, I must have gotten there maybe 233 whatever it was so all most of the major people were were gone and yeah, like the homicide guys and um, uh, you know then the next day I hit the hit the ground running mm. It was um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, well, you know, the scene of the crime, uh, the scene where the car was, was not the scene of the crime. And the two bike cops um, who saw, who happened to be in a parking garage at Flamingo and Koval where the shooting took place, they, they, they jumped down, you know, and, and, and had it, they heard the shots that was right there. And they, they went out to the street two cops, two bike cops, and, and Phil, you know, I, I, my apologies to the department, but these two cops left the scene of the crime and followed Tupac down to the strip. My sense is, shouldn't one of them have secured the scene uh, where they heard shots fired, secured that scene, and, and, um, that would have been a crime scene as well as the second scene where they landed. My, my, I was told from homicide that that they didn't get to that um, Koval and Flamingo scene of the crime for 20 minutes. But that's just so I don't. I just think there are things that happen along the way that might have, um, you know, made things a little easier for the investigation had they not happened. So, Kathy, so the, the scene was Flamingo and Koval, but they are you saying that they rode they rode for they rode further away and that's where they stopped? Well, they that, uh, should took off. You know, he's being fired at. So he made a U-turn, should night with Tupac in the BMW, made a U-E and then went up to the Las Vegas Strip, hung a left until his tires went out because he's, you know, his gridlock. So he's going down the medians. Those two bike cops, Metro bike cops followed Suge Knight and left the scene mm. where they heard shots fired, left the scene of the crime. I'm just saying. Yeah, but I maybe, maybe by car, I mean, they, they could have called in for backup, gotten people there. One could have stayed and gone later. It's just, I'm not a cop, but I'm just saying, just seems pretty obvious to me. But you Phil know. Ramos, you were a homicide detective for that department. You want to uh, comment on that or... 
Yeah, it was a pretty dynamic scene. They didn't know what they had really until they were able to make contact with Suge and get the vehicle stopped. So um, there was a lot of commotion. There was just the two of them. Uh, and without knowing more than what they knew at the time, you know, we can second guess it all day long and, and everybody loves to do that. But at the point when everything was happening, they only had certain facts to work with. And one of them was, number one, determine if a crime had occurred versus the gunshots that was heard. And once they found out that there was uh, someone fighting for their life, then they took the appropriate uh, action that they needed to take. And um, as busy as the strip gets, it, it, uh, it can take cops a little bit to get there, fighting a lot of traffic, and especially on this night, until uh, they were able to get a grasp on the situation of exactly what happened. They, they did the best they could under the circumstances that they had. Shots fired and lots of smoke. Um, and, and then we can leave it at that. I, I, I would add too, it, you know, there's a saying in, in law enforcement, you know, two is one, one is none. So if you leave one cop where you kind of hear a shot, you know, now you're leaving another police officer to chase something where, you know, there's shots fired, but how do you know who was shooting at who? You, you see one car, and it's better to have two people instead of one chasing that car because, yes, it turned out here that, that you know, Tupac and Suge Knight were the victims, but at the time, you don't know if they were shooting back and forth at each other. Um, so it, it's, it's for safety reasons, you're not going to really want to split up either. So... I mean, I understand your point, Kathy. You make a lot of sense, but at the same time, the calls are going out. The, the radio calls are going out at that time, but you don't want to split two partners up. It, it's for safety reasons for everyone involved, not just the police, but um, everyone else involved. And that, that's a great point. Uh, by the way, you're looking at the man who was arrested, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis. We're going to get into that. Um, I actually had a note to mention this, and I completely forgot, but today is – the anniversary, um, six years, believe it or not, of the MGM mass shooting. October 1st, 58 people were uh, killed that night, which is hard to believe. Uh, Detective Ramos, where were you the night of the MGM Vegas shooting? And uh, do you like to comment on your thoughts on this pretty somber occasion? Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was shocking. I was at home. I had already retired, and I got a call from a friend of mine who was a news anchor at uh, one of the big affiliates and said, have you heard what's going on? And I said, no. And he told me what happened. And within a half hour, 45 minutes, I was uh, on the anchor desk with him doing a play by play on exactly what was happening and trying to keep um, sense out of a situation that, that made no sense. It was, it was a long, awful night that night. Yeah. Wow. It's horrific. Um, I don't want to mention names, but I've been in touch with a current, Las Vegas police officer who actually breached the door of the shooter that night, a real American hero. Obviously this is a difficult time of the year uh, and he's going to come on the show uh, to talk about the night. Uh, they call it one October. Uh, Kathy, were you working um, in Vegas back then? It was six years ago. I uh, know I was, I was here already. I've been here for two years. Yeah. yeah it was what sad to have, have friends, you know, I have a lot of friends in Vegas. So it's a, it was a sad day for really a sad day for Vegas and, and America at large. You know, what a, what a horrendic, you know, horrendic thing to happen. 58 people were, were killed that night. Um, 
the biggest ever, right? Isn't yeah. that just I'm almost sure that is still the biggest. Uh Phil, I don't want to get like all macabre and whatever, but how do you even process fifty-eight murders with uh homicide division? I mean, Vegas is obviously those are seasoned investigators, but how do you how do you yeah. do that? Do you have to bring in other departments? Well, we every single officer that was working that night ended up on the strip. It went to a priority zero call status and no calls were being answered anywhere in the valley except there on the strip in relationship to the shooting unless they were life-threatening emergency calls. Um, I, I don't think we'll ever see a night like that again here in Vegas, hopefully. Yeah. And, and as far, you know, we listen to the radio and the body count just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing and you just shake your head in, in disbelief, thinking that this can't be happening. This, this, there's got to be something wrong. But, uh, and, you know, yeah. one officer said the bodies were everywhere. Yeah, there's still no why. I uh, don't know if we'll ever know why the shooter ended up committing suicide. Um, Stelvieri says Jeff Wood is also a really rad dude. Uh, you don't even know the half of it. This guy is an, you're looking at an American hero. Mary Goff with the super sticker. Thank you very much. Uh Come on, guys. They worked their tushes off. Thank you, Mary Goff. Appreciate that. Jeff, um, everyone, you know, you were on the show before to talk. Thank you, Carla Riley. Uh, you were on the show before to talk about, um, and thank you, Lenore. You were on the show to talk about uh, MS-13, uh, infamous uh, El Salvador uh, gang. But everyone's heard of the Bloods and the Crips. Um, what was that gang rivalry like in uh, the mid-'90s? Well, in the mid-90s, like all gangs, I mean, th their rivalry started back in the late 60s, early 70s, and it's continued to this day. So, you know, <clears throat> they argue over turf. They argue over the drug trade on their turf. Uh, just everything that goes on. Each gang is about trying to make money. And, you know, the Bloods are more loosely associated with the People Nation which is a collection of gangs that, you know, if you, Florida came up with the term, you know, the People Nation gang would be like the American League, the Folk Nation gang would be the, the National League in baseball, right? So during the year, they may not all get along, but at times they'll come together to fight the rivals. And so, uh, you know, in the 80s, 90s, even to this day, Bloods and Crips, they war and, and they're, they're going to take shots at each other. And Suge Knight was a blood. Um, Obviously, the, the the accused in this case was a crypt. And even though Tupac was not a member of a gang, he associated more with the Bloods than he did with the Crips. He, I mean, he, he was with Suge Knight that night, and uh, the accused nephew had been uh, had stolen something from a, a, a blood earlier in the, the week. They saw him at the, the MGM Grand. They assaulted him. And then just because that that's enough to keep the rivalry going and and that's why they went after Tupac, right? You know yep. so so even though he wasn't a gang member, being an associate with a gang member got brought him into the crosshairs of the Crips. Yep. And that that was a fatal flaw. Carla Riley says, I heard that Tupac participated in an assault on Keefe Davis's nephew. Uh, we're gonna get into that at an elevator in Las Vegas Hotel, and he was the shooter to retaliate for the assault. We're going to get into the details of that. So uh, we mentioned before uh, this guy, Dwayne Davis is uh, the last living witness besides Suge Knight to that fatal drive-by shooting. All the others have been killed actually tragically in gang violence. 
um, the grand jury indicted uh, indicted Dwayne Keefe Davis on uh, one count of murder with gang uh, enhancement. Detective Ramos, uh, what does that mean uh, with a gang enhancement in terms of the indictment here, in terms of additional time? It um, it adds to the penalty of uh, it, if there's a conviction, it'll add to the penalty and it'll also uh, add to the bail amount if there's any bail. In this particular case, there is no bail and I doubt that there ever will be bail permitted on this one. But um, gang enhancement is similar to uh, enhancement if uh, your victims over 65 or uh, youthful victims, if they're under a certain age, it uh, makes the penalties worse. In, in the event of a conviction. Yeah. And uh, there you are. You're looking at some iconic shots of Tupac uh, uh, right there. Uh, so, Kathy, I asked you where you were the night of the murder. What were you doing uh, when you got the news Friday that there was an arrest? And what were your initial thoughts? Um, well, I expected it because um, I when, when Vegas police um, did their search warrant and, and made it public, and then it went to a secret grand jury, and of course that leaked out that 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 they were, you know, that it was with a, a grand jury. Um, I I knew uh, because of of him being in the car and and the book evidence, you know, which was hard evidence, and uh, that that they would absolutely bring this to fruition and it was so great to see everybody at the news conference and everything because somebody said ah you know a couple people called me and texted me or whatever and said oh they're never going to do it they're just you know playing it up in Henderson with the search warrant I said no way they would not have made that public unless they had real goods on this guy and they're going to take him they're going to take them all the way, and they did. So I wasn't surprised, but um, it it um, was great, great news that it finally happened, and there's there's going to be justice for Tupac and the murder. And uh, the indictment alleges that Dwayne Keefe Davis was involved in the shooting and obtained a firearm for the purpose, and this is a quote here, seeking retribution against Tupac Shakur and Marion Suge Knight, the head of his record label, Death Row, and a longtime affiliate of a rival set, the Mob Piru. The indictment doesn't say that Dwayne Davis pulled the trigger, but says he and three other gang members conspired to kill the rapper by acting in concert throughout. Um, Jeff Wood to you. So uh, authorities are admitting that he's not the trigger man here, but you've... uh, you know, you've worked on many cases, I think, where gang members have been put away because they're present, but they're not necessarily firing the weapon. Um, will he be held responsible in the same sort of light and manner because of the fact that he sort of orchestrated this but didn't pull the trigger, per se? Well, that's what conspiracy does. It's a great tool that law enforcement has. So I'm sure Phil has seen it many times in Las Vegas. I've used it many times where I may be the leader and I want someone dead of a rival gang or a suspected informant within my gang and I order his death. I'm just as culpable of that death, whether or not I actually pull the trigger, as I am the person who goes out and pulls the trigger. So this is a case where, you know, you go back, he had been arrested many years ago and he gave a proffer and the proffer allowed him to talk and be protected. So they couldn't use his own words against him where he, he admitted 
to these facts. Yes, I helped get the gun. I passed the gun to the back seat. Someone pulled the trigger. But he his words could not be used against him at that time. But because he kept talking, you mentioned earlier, he kept talking, he wrote his own book, he, he, he kept mentioning it. Now, now his word, those words, not the words from the proffer, right. those words can be used against him. And based on those that information, they get a search warrant and execute it and get enough information that they can bring him to justice for being, I got the gun, I passed the gun to the shooter, I was present. He didn't even need to be present. He, right. just, even the gun could have gotten him this conspiracy charge and be held just as accountable. Mm. So, you know, that, that's what makes that charge so great. It's like mob bosses, you know, the, uh, the old uh, mob bosses in Las Vegas, you know, the boss would mob boss would call, you know, would, would, would call down the order. It would be approved by all the bosses. And then the lower people would go uh, do the dirty deeds. So it's very similar to that, isn't it? It is, um, you know, federally in some states have the RICO, the Racketeering Influential Corruption mm-hmm. Organization Act, which does the same thing, but conspiracy also covers that. So, you you know, you've got the conspiracy charge. Um, so you have lots of different charges to, to bring everyone responsible for that murder to, play in, to justice. And, and that's what they did here. And by the way, this is uh, the cover of uh, Keefe D's book, Compton Street Legend. And COE, if we can, let's pull up a book cover of Kathy Scott's book. We should have done that. And you see underneath it says, Notorious uh, Keefe D, Street Level Accounts of Tupac and Biggie Murders, Death Row Origins, Shug Knight, Puffy Combs, and Crooked Cops. Uh, Jeff Wood, there's a famous saying, snitches get stitches. And he basically uh, he snitched on himself here. Didn't have to write this book, but... Um, do you think he's going to pay the ultimate price of going to prison now, uh, maybe for the rest of his life, Jeff, because of these words that he's put on this uh, on these pages? Well, he 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 basically, in this sense, snitched on himself. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think anyone's really going to be gunning him if he had cooperated against other people and put them in jail, and they're still in jail, and he shows up in 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 jail. Then, yes, he could be a danger, and at that point. I've had a lot of gang members who've cooperated and I had to put them into the witness protection program there where they go to witness protection jail to serve their sentence after their cooperation. So, you know, depending on if he has cooperated against others and he shows up to jail, he'd have to be put into a protective custody himself to keep himself from getting harmed. All those Tupac fans in prison. Lots and lots of Tupac fans who are not going to be happy to see Keefe D in their prison. So I would think that he might be a little at risk because of the hard-nosed guys in there who are big-time hip-hop fans. I will will say this. um, That is very true. Uh, But because he's a crip. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're very aware of... You know, when they do the intake, they're very aware bloods aren't going to bloods are going to identify themselves as bloods because everyone in the prison is going to know what gang you're running with when you show up. And they don't want to put bloods and crips together or Latin kings and gangster disciples. You know, they want to keep them separate. So they, they come in. Yep, yeah, I'm a blood and they'll go to a cell block where there's more bloods. So he's going to go. He's going to he's going to go in with his homies. Correct. So <laughs> he'll, he'll go. He'll go He'll, he'll be more in a Crips segregation center. And unless he's cooperated against Crips, they're not, they're going to protect him. Just wow. like, 
trips protect each other. So good point. Yeah. Thank By point. the way, uh, the other day I was, uh, going off on the media, the current state of media, by the way. But if you ever want to see a real reporter, you're looking at one with Kathy Scott. I mean, she's, I can tell she's no nonsense. She's a different, don't take this the wrong way, a different era of reporters that were beat reporters. She knew Detective Ramos right away. She has sources. Us TV guys were uh, were kind of like quasi reporters, I would say. But Kathy Scott was uh, mixing it up in the middle of it. And that's why she ended up writing not one, but two books. But uh, Detective Ramos. So there was, uh, as Kathy mentioned, a search warrant executed on Dwayne Davis's home. And he doesn't live far uh, from you. He's in Henderson, Nevada, a suburb of Vegas. That's where he was living after this life of crime. Um, What could trigger a search warrant back in July? Was it I mean, the book has been out, I think, since 2019, um, and I know it's an active case now and you're retired, so you have to be a little bit careful. But what what would have caused them to go and search his home all of a sudden all these years later? Well, there is a years long backstory on this case. Um, and, and by years long, I mean, this, a lot of this information has been known for many, many years. Um, and and. Now that I have the chance, I want to get something cleared up on the record here. Um, there was a uh, detective from uh, Los Angeles who was claiming to be the lead investigator in the Tupac Shakur case. So, oh, I know his name. Please don't say his name. And I have said that for years. He, he's, a, he's a poser. He's a poser. Go ahead. So let's get that cleared up. This yeah. this happened in the jurisdiction of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Exactly. Yeah. Las Vegas Metro Police was the only lead agency in this case. There were two detectives that were assigned to that, both good friends of mine, Brent Becker and Mike Franks. They were the only lead detectives on this yeah. case. So for anyone from a out-of-state agency and uh in a unit that wasn't even working in homicide, but in the gang unit to claim that he was the lead investigator is completely inaccurate and very irresponsible to make. Uh, Thank you comments. for saying that. Thank so, you for um, that, Detective. And that guy, by the way, whose name will go unmentioned, has been doing the rounds all over media. So I'm yeah. glad that, uh, by the way, we are the show of record. Look at this. Uh, we've got the real guy, Phil Ramos, from the homicide unit. Uh, Phil, what about, uh, I mean, you know, are both those guys retired who were on yeah. the case? And they're both retired. So just what kind yeah. of homicide detectives were they? You're good friends with them. I mean, competent guys, I assume. Very competent, very thorough. They were relentless. I mean, you know, they, they were a uh, couple of uh, alligators that once they sank their teeth into something, they didn't let go. Um, they both retired and the case was inherited to my old partner that I trained when he came into homicide, Dan Long. And Dan became the lead investigator on that uh, until he retired. So, like I said, this case goes way back. There's there's a huge amount of information that'll be, uh, that'll come forward during the trial. And um, let me just say that the reason, probably the reason it has come to light right now is there's been some corroboration of the evidence or uh, the stories that Keefe D was telling that Keefe gave a statement to Dan, my, my old partner, Dan Long, and uh, they didn't just sit on it. They had to corroborate the information that he was giving because, um, you know, Jeff will tell you, you can't just take a bad guy's word for, well, yeah, I came in here and I shot him and this is what happened. You have to corroborate all of that. You have to make sure that what he's telling you is the truth 
because if anybody could walk in and say, yeah, I shot JFK and this is why or how, and this is how it happened. So corroboration is the key to any kind of case where a lot of witness information comes forward that um, you have to be able to say, yeah, this is accurate information and, and we're going to act on it. Uh, and let me tell you, it's been years in the making. Um, this is just this is just the surface of the evidence that, that has come forward, and uh, surely the evidence that they came up with during the search warrant a couple of months ago um, corroborated a lot of that. But there also could be some new evidence in that uh, in that search warrant that hasn't been uh, released yet. But if there's a trial that'll come through, my guess is that KVD is going to uh, negotiate his way into a, a shorter prison sentence. And, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead, Jeff. Phil, you know, in today's age, especially with a cold case like this, a district attorney, or if you're talking about a federal type case, U.S. attorneys with the, with the spotlight on this, they're going to want to prove to a judge beyond, you know, I always laugh because all you need is probable cause to, to get a search warrant affidavit. But there's times they write that with the police where it's beyond a reasonable doubt because they want to prove to the judge that there is nothing left to chance. So when they execute the search warrant, they're not going to lose anything based on, a, you know, a violation of Fourth, Fifth or Sixth Amendment. You know, they want to come in there knowing they have it because especially here, it, you know, the merger place in 1996 they don't want to do a search warrant and lose evidence. They want to make sure when they when they get the indictment, they're you know they're going to come in so hot where the defendant's either going to plead guilty and try and get something where he's not looking at life mm-hmm. or, or, or or something because they, yeah. they don't want to waste their time on such a case where they could lose. They want to win this case. It's a long And let's keep in Go ahead. Go ahead. The uh, affidavit for that search warrant was, has been sealed, so that information is is not going to come out unless unless there's a trial. And exactly. what that means is all the, uh, like Jeff was alluding to, the probable cause has to be established in that affidavit, and those little details that establish your probable cause are what's been sealed. So that's not going to get out to the public um, until it's time for that to happen, and that will be in a, at a trial. You know, it's interesting because uh, a few people have asked me, including reporters, how come they haven't released the the affidavit, you know, the search warrant. And I said, this isn't Washington, D.C. They don't post it online and all the reporters get it right away. I said, nobody's going to see that. Um, because they're keeping everything close to their chest, as they should, because they, they want to make sure it's a, a clean case and nothing gets gets leaked and it goes, you know, it goes smoothly. So that's so that's so true. Um, but people think that because they see affidavits coming out of uh, political cases that they can see it as well, but they can't. Especially in Nevada laws, I think, aren't they, detective, a little tighter than they are in other states, including California? Yeah, they they run pretty pretty much the same across the country. There there's little nuances here and there, going from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But for the most part, um, they're pretty much pretty much the same. You know, if one agency could have a little more control over the uh, release of information, but you know, I also got to remember that uh, the department or the investigative 
agency is only going to let out the information they want people to know about. They exactly. have to have that back. They have exactly. to have that hold back for the trial. Yeah. And you can't reveal everything because, um, you know, people, well, well it, it's the public's right to know. Yeah, it's the public's right to know. But when it's time for them to know would be the appropriate time because all this all goes back to a fair and impartial trial. Pre-trial publicity can kill your case if, if you're not careful what you release. Uh, an- analytical Blarney AB, Kathy Scott coming in hot with homies and poser tonight. I think my evening is made, guys. You never know who you're talking to. Um, if you saw Kathy Scott at Trader Joe's, you probably wouldn't think she knows all about Tupac, but she she knows more than you do. I can guarantee you that. Um, Moan Bent here. Uh, people don't realize how great an artist he truly was, a writer, poet, musically talented, after all these years, still a legend. Uh, Kathy, speak to that. I mean, what kind of talent was he? Um, you know, he's he's a, a one a one name wonder, uh, Tupac. Everyone knows him by that name. I mean, how big was he for the short time that he had this career for? Well, he was huge. He had catapulted. He hadn't he hadn't reached his prime, but but he was all over. I knew who he was because I was a fan of MTV, but I wasn't a hip hop fan. I don't even think they called it hip hop. You know, at that point they were calling it rap. But um, but he he was a poet. And he wrote poetry, you know, and you know, outside his low-income housing project, you know, under a under a streetlight because the electricity was turned off in his apartment. You know, he was a genius, and he um, and really self-educated, and and his lyrics, I think, just touched people because you know the demographic at that time. I don't know what it is right now, but the demographic for his music was white people between 30 and 40 years old. So um, he, he touches all people. And um, he just, he, I think they could relate to it. At that point, you have to have to realize, too, there was no Vietnam at that point. There was no, there was no war, you know, there has been since. But but before he died, there wasn't. There was really no social issue for kids to go out and protest or anything. And so they kind of latched on to the to the rap movement, and um, you know it became um, just very big in, in all communities uh, across demographics and races. And I thought uh, the point that Kathy and Jeff brought up is super interesting. I mean, the fact that uh, he's a gang member, Dwayne uh, Keefe D. Davis, protects him to some degree. But again, Tupac's a legend, especially inside those prison walls. So we'll be interesting to see uh, if he gets convicted and goes to prison. And he already served time, by the way. He was in for, I think, 15 years on other charges. So be interesting to see how he is charged a uh, big shout out to Cynthia Cluck Johnson becoming a member on YouTube. And then uh, we got Mary Benny here, uh, one who killed Tupac Orlando Anderson, I believe it. Uh, so he is the nephew of Dwayne Keefe D uh, Davis. And his name was Orlando baby lane Anderson. This is straight out of a movie. And uh, I'm sure there will be another one after the, uh, this uh, arrest and possible conviction. But, uh, Jeff, what I wanted to ask you about, so basically uh, that night, Suge Knight and Tupac beat up this guy, Orlando Baby Lane Anderson, at the MGM Hotel, and that's what precipitated the shooting. 
in the world of gangs, uh, what is it like to be just disrespected? I mean, Tupac and Suge were kicking this guy, beating him in the head. Um, that's all it took for them to retaliate and kill. Well, they were retaliating against uh, against him for disrespecting one of uh, Suge Knight's blood uh, bloods. So, I mean, it's it's an ongoing thing. You know, one if you're blood, you're a crip. Uh, I had a source one night or one day who was talking to me about he was a blood and he wasn't wearing his colors one day, but a crip came into his territory. He sent two bloods to mess with him and snuck up behind him and had an ice pick and just started shanking, shiving the guy, you know, with the ice pick. It, it um, just being a rival gang member will can cause a, a, a something to occur. It, it, it doesn't, you don't, Wearing your colors, My, that same source walking down the street, leaving a blood party, wearing his blood colors. Crips drove by, saw him, and shot at him. Right? That's all it takes. Just being a rival gang member. So, yes, they the guy stole something from somebody. They saw him. They tuned him up, and and now they're mad. Hey, you tuned me up. Fine, I'm coming back after you, and I've got a gun. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. So, Jeff, this guy, Keefe D, he's 60 years old now. What have you found in your own little uh, research? Um, when these gang members get up there in their 50s and 60s, do they look back and say, what the hell was I thinking? Or um, do a lot of them hold on to, like, the, the gang credo and say, no, this is this is still who I am? It, it, it can depend on the gang member. Some – it, it, it depends on what's happening in their life. Uh uh, I'm good friends with a former gang member out of St. Louis. We work together in the sense um, I traveled the country uh, teaching at gang conferences, and their gang conferences would be a law enforcement aspect and a social justice type aspect in the sense of what we can do to prevent and, and rehabilitate gang members and keeping them from, uh, you know, from joining or, or going back into the gang after they get out of jail. So th this kid, um, well, not a kid now, but he'd been a gang member, and, and his one-year-old brother was with him one day. You know, he was at his house with his family, and his one-year-old brother was in the in the carriage, and the rival gang drove by, shot at everyone, missed, and killed the one-year-old brother. And that's when he realized, what am I doing? And so we, he was one of the teachers because he would talk about what it took for him to realize what the hell am I doing? I'm just bringing misery to everyone in, in my family, in the community I'm living in. And so he went, went out of his way to try and prevent kids from joining gangs. And he worked with police and, and the chief of police and him and his town would work together where they would bring cops into a room and they wouldn't know where they're there. And he would bring these troubled youth who were on the, the edge. They could go one way or the other. And, you know, when they first get together and sit in the room, they're looking at each other. There's no trust. There's nothing there. But by the end of the night, cops are giving everyone a ride home. They're letting flip the lights on the cars to play with the cars. And it, and it would start building trust in that community between the police and these troubled youth and, and, and what they could do if they didn't follow down that path. And, and you know, um, so, again, it depends on the gang member. I've seen it. But I've also seen gang members where they just they'll, they'll continue and you, they don't care what it takes. You know, I've I've had a gang member say, "I don't care," using a lot more colorful language than I am right now. 
but <laughs> I, I don't I don't care if my heroin, my fentanyl support people. I'm just about making money. So they want it, great. If they die, I don't care. It's, for me, it's about making money and, and stuff. So, you know, and typically you don't see a lot of older gang members. They're usually in jail or dead. I mean, some do live longer, but, you know, it's a it's a short short lifespan that's a it's a hard it's a hard game um thank you mc spunky uh big friend of the show and then Catherine Rogier, who is in maui thoughts are with you uh, look at Catherine giving us a super sticker uh she's the one that needs help in maui appreciate that very much uh people don't realize uh right after kind of in the immediate aftermath of tupac's assassination really um there were something like 20 arrests. Um, just going back in time, Phil, uh, how important was this for Las Vegas PD at the time to try to solve quickly? Cause you had a massive media spotlight on you. Yeah, it was, uh, there was a lot of uh, international publicity over this because he was so well known. And, um, you know, we've talked about this before the inherent problems with gang shootings, which this was, is the lack of cooperation with the cops. You know, they, they, the, the members just don't talk to the police. Uh, and and look at uh, Tupac's last words to a police officer. When the police officer asked him, who did this to you? What happened? Who did this to you? He knew, Tupac knew he was dying. And what did he say to the cop? F you. Mm. So that's where you have to start. And that's what, that's what the cops had to work with that night. And, you know, Shug, look at Shug. He was right there, bullets zinging past him. He knew who the shooter was. He knew what had happened. He didn't say a word to the cops. The, the witness that was standing right there watching his friend get shot up and, and die, actually, didn't say a thing to the cops. So, Well, didn't, um, didn't Shug Knight issue the order the next day because there was a bloodbath in Compton, South Central, in retaliation for Tupac's death, the bloods in the Crips? And one of the guys in the car got dead that day. So did you guys, uh, you work with the gang cops out of Compton on that when there was that bloodbath afterward? That, and that was for Tupac's killing. That, that was down the road. We had to work with what we had at the time. Um, and, and that was very little. So there was, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, finger pointing. Why didn't Las Vegas do this? Why didn't Las Vegas do that? And at the end of the day, it's what we had to work with that night. And yeah. uh, regardless of what, you know, Suge said or claims to have said, there still was no cooperation from the people that were there that knew who the shooter was to the cops. Were, street justice was going to prevail. And, and, you know, that, that's how they took care of business themselves. But um, yeah. it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough, Gang case, gang murders are the toughest ones to solve because of that very reason. Um, nobody, nobody wants to talk to the cops. You, you have, I, I want to add to that. Phil's absolutely right. I, I've walked into emergency room to talk to people who've been shot, and it's f you, f off. My gang will take care of this, right? As they're dying, they they, they don't want to talk, and, and there's lots of different reasons why, and. Not all, not, it's not every department, not every homicide detective is like this, but there has been times where, you know, 
I've been asked myself, well, Jeff, why, why do you spend so much time working and trying to solve a gang murder? I mean, it's just a gang member killing another gang member. And it's not that I'm crying my heart out in this case. What I'm saying is a person died. Even if that, mem- that person is a gang member, even if that person's a criminal, he or she still has a mother, a father, brother, sister, wife, husbands, kids, right? Justice needs to be brought to that person's family over that homicide. And we have to work just as hard, whether it's a gang member who was killed or somebody else who was killed. We have to solve these crimes. And, and, and you know, I found in my time working gangs, um, it, it's, it's, as Phil said, it's very tough because no one wants to cooperate. No one wants to tell you anything. I, I, I worked on one murder where you had hundreds of witnesses who saw the murder and not a single person talked to us because they, they, they were afraid of retaliation for one. Yeah. And two, you know, they're like, if, if I open my mouth, you know, the gang will come after me. So, so it's very tough. And, and, and I was very lucky in my career that I had a great group of guys that I worked with and we never mm-hmm. stopped. And, and whether or not we were homicide unit, we weren't, but we used the cases we made against gang members to provide to the homicide unit units to solve those homicides. And that that's what it takes is that, that policing together and saying, here's something that you can use now to solve this case. And, and it, it comes in many different aspects. It's not just the typical homicide guy going out and beating the bushes as he normally would in the gang world. There's a lot of different things that go on to help solve those cases. Carolyn A says, "Oh, go ahead, Kathy." The gang cops in uh, Compton, uh, where where the shootouts all happened uh, afterward, um, and Tupac was still alive. And for six days, um, uh, the gang cops told me um, that they were one of them was Bobby Ladd. You probably know Bobby, and um, they that Orlando Anderson was running around South Central saying, hey, I kept Tupac, I kept Tupac. Then when Tupac died, six days later, he stopped bragging. And, and that's when he lawyered up. But um, but he was just running around. Nobody nobody in Compton cared that he, he was bragging about it. They all, it was like a trophy, you know. And it, it uh, you know, it's sad. You know a lot more about it than I do, um, Agent. <laughs> What's Agent your last Jeff Wood. Jeff Wood. Jeff. Um, but uh, uh, I love titles, by the way. But um, yeah, so they're you know bloodbath, and and one of the gang cops there, and it doesn't sound like that's your mentality, but one of the Compton gang gang cops told me he said, "Well, it's a twofer. You know, they they did they did this to someone, and somebody else is going to get it for him, and they kill him. Great, it's a two for one." You know, but it's not really, that's not policing, of course. That's just street justice. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn A says, Tupac did not succumb to his gunshot wound until five or six days later. It was six days, and you just heard Phil Ramos say that when the police were trying to investigate, he basically told them to go F themselves. Um, Phil, I don't know what you can or cannot tell us, but what was it like being there for the autopsy? Uh, It was pretty... uh pretty eye-opening um and so let me just touch on that uh yeah he w- he was alive for five or six days but it wasn't like he was ordering breakfast every morning 
he was he unconscious. Yeah. He, yeah. Didn't, he didn't say a word after that. So yeah. uh, there was nothing, nothing came out of his mouth after that. He was, he, he was being kept alive by the amazing personnel at UMC trauma. And, and they, I mean, they, they would have moved mountains to save this man's life, but he wasn't, he wasn't aware and awake and, and speaking at all, period. Yeah. So he was shot four uh, times, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, the autopsy, it was, you know, just the fact of who it was just kind of gave it an extra dimension. You know, I'm standing here looking at, at the body of a man that's known all around the world and uh, looking at the, at the wounds that he had suffered. And it was, um, it was one of those things that you never forget. You know, you always get a handful of cases that follow you through your career. And even while you're sitting in retirement, you know, waiting for that big fish to bite, you think about, oh man, I could have done this differently or I could have done that differently. But um, that's one of those images that, that just doesn't leave your head to seeing Tupac occur on an autopsy table. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Michael Couture, I'm sure you're a good guy trolling everybody tonight. Um, you got three experts here that I guarantee you know more than anything you know about this case. Guaranteed. So why don't you chill out? And uh, listen to what they have to say. I've listened to it, so I'll raise my hand. He says, <laughs> how many of these guests have listened to me against the world? Yeah. Kathy knows uh, she's been there. So, Michael, take a little chill pill and uh, open your brain up, and you'll probably learn something. Instead of being so angry uh, at the guys who are telling you the story, they were there. You weren't, guaranteed. Um, oh, man, just one of those nights. Uh, so... Kathy, back to you. Um, take me, you know, I asked Phil, what was it like the first couple of days um, for you on the reporting side? I mean, you had to know this was, as Phil said, an international story, fans around the world. Um, you're at the epicenter. You're the first to report his death. Guys never heard of this. Some people had never heard of him. You said they called him Tupac Shaker. Um, how did you, uh, how long did you stay on the story? How long was it front page news? Uh, what were you doing with your sources to try to get uh, get the information? Well, there was a news conference right off the off the bat, and there was um, on that first or second day, and all the sports writers were already in town for um, all the networks and and newspapers and whatnot. Magazines were already in town, so the news outlets sent their sports writers to the press conference and. And uh, Sergeant Manning headed it, so I attended that. But I went down to the strip. I um, I interviewed as many people as I could. You know, of course, I called on called on my sources. I went into the West Side, talked to people there. Suge Knight had been there earlier in the week, and then I went to Suge Knight's neighborhood, which is is walled off. But because you know, Suge Knight had a house in Vegas. Um, and, and of course the hospital. And then I, I'd make phone calls several times a day to talk to the hospital staff to find out. They always gave us status reports, reporters. And, um, so I knew he was failing when I was there at the hospital that, that six on the sixth day, but it was, um, at the hospital, it was, um, just sad. It, it was watching people go in and out. And his mother, Fanny Shakur, was, you know, he was in a coma, you know, um, medicine and medicinally induced coma to keep him still. And his, his uh, 
uh, in his chest injury, they couldn't close it. They did a surgery. It ripped open again. They did. They did another surgery, and it bled. And that's when Afeni Shakur said, "Let him go." And I wish, I wish Afeni, you know, she died a year or two ago, and I wish, I wish his mother was here um, to to see justice for her son. It was interesting when Biggie Smalls died, and I interviewed his mother. Valletta Wallace. She was all about justice. She sued the LAPD. Afeni was, it doesn't matter if somebody is arrested. It doesn't matter if if someone's, you know, brought to justice. It won't change it. Her thing was to keep his legacy alive. And she was very spiritual and very, um, uh, very much so like like her son you know he he was he was his mother's son for sure but it was a somber atmosphere even in the newsroom it just was a, a somber atm- a somber atmosphere in the hospital was just cars driving around in circles and and playing his music and 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 people you know lined up they wanted to get news uh, how he was doing and and I was there of course when we all learned that he had died. So it was one of his backup singers. Um, I, I think his name was, uh, gosh, it's in my book, but Johnny or something. And he, and I, I was standing kind of at the curb at that point. It's a short curb. And he came out and just, just fell to his, his knees and collapsed and started crying and it just was just was sad you know they all um they I think they understood they you know they lost a friend they wrapped a they lost a fellow um rapper and and for him he was I think his name was baby or something but uh for him he lost a mentor but I think they understood too that the world and, and the rap community lost a, a very talented person, you know. But his music lives on, and it's probably selling like hotcakes right now. Yeah. Well, let a uh, Biggie's mom, if she's still with us, let her know that my wife, the COE, is one of his biggest fans. She would leave me in a second if Biggie was still around, but uh, but but he's <laughs> yeah, not. The teddy so. bear, the velvet yeah. teddy bear, yeah. Biggie Smalls. By the way, Michael Couture is back, and sometimes I like to engage with trolls because this is interesting. If I were defending any other murder victim, I'd be an advocate, but somehow being upset at the dishonest portrayal of Tupac's murder as gang-related makes me a troll. Michael, explain to me how it's not gang-related in your next comment, and I'll put that up. I'm curious. Um, Everyone was in a gang. Uh, There was a beating that night in gang retaliation, and then they retaliated for that. So if you can explain to me how it's not related to gangs, I'd be I'd be very happy to hear. Go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say, again, there's nothing out there that said Tupac was an actual gang member. He associated with with both Crips and Bloods, but he he had signed with Suge Knight. Should- that's a good distinction, important distinction. So he was not a gang member. Maybe that's what Michael's upset about, but he was in a in a crosshairs. But go ahead, Jeff. But the fact of the matter is he, he was an associate of Shugnight. As a gang investigator, I make him an associate of a gang. Doesn't make him a gang member, but he associates with gang members. And at the time, Shugnight's a blood, Keith is a crip, 
Keith's nephew, who's a crip, robs or steals something from Shug's, uh, a member of Shug's crew. They retaliate, beat him up, and Tupac participates. When that when he participates, the gang retaliated. So, as a gang investigator, it's a gang related crime. Whether or not Tupac was a gang member or not, he's a victim of gang violence, which makes this a gang-related homicide. And based on Tupac's association, he acted in a way similar to gang members. You heard Ramos say, F you, when the police asked him, like, who shot you so we can go make an arrest? F you, right? That is a typical gang member type response when police are trying to help him. There are also, Jeff, photos out there of Tupac throwing West Side, I can't do it, but throwing <laughs> West Side gang, uh, you probably could, gang signs. So Tupac may not have, have jumped into the gang, but he certainly acted like he was a West Side white blood because he he hung out with the bloods and and the, and 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 his you know, the guy he was with all the time, Shug Knight, was a big blood for what his entire life. And and what if he's not connected to a gang, then what the heck is he doing throwing gang signs? There are well, photos of him. Well and in 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 true and again when when we look at um when we when we look for me, I can't come out and just say even if somebody admits they're a gang member, in the law enforcement today, the way we operate, we don't say, you know, and I, every department has their own type of gang structure of how they identify gang members. But, you know, self-admitting gets you, let's say you need 15 points to become a known gang member. Self-admitting will get you 10 or 12, right? But they still want a few other things to fully say, I'm a gang member. So they self-admit that gets them close. But if they wear, if they have a, a tattoo that gets them a couple points, they wear the colors. I'll give them a couple points. They associate that gets them a couple points. And that will say you're a gang member. That was never done with Tupac. But as you say, Kathy, he's throwing gang signs. Most non gang members, unless they're good associates, associates won't throw gang signs because it can get you killed. Mm-hmm. If I'm MS-13 and I see someone throwing an 18th Street, and he's not 18th Street, but I kill him, it's because he's throwing a, a rival gang sign. So so people who aren't in a gang or aren't associated aren't going to throw signs like that. So, you know. All, all great points, and I understand in Michael's head where he is coming from, but I would have to agree that he is incorrect about this. And Stelviri uh, in case you still feel that way, Michael Couture, Jeff Wood versus Michael Couture arm wrestle. Let's go. Uh, I have to get Jeff Wood on the uh, arm wrestling circuit. Um, you don't want to mess with Jeff Wood. Trust me, Michael Couture, whoever you are and wherever you are. And I'm sure you're a nice guy and I'm not meaning to drag you into this, but he did troll me. Um, so to you, Detective Ramos, um, literally within like days and weeks of this murder back on September 13th, 1996, so many conspiracies were floating around. And one of them was that Tupac and Biggie went off into the, uh, in, you know, into the sunset, basically holding hands and moved to New Zealand. Why do you think there were all these conspiracies theories and all this allure? And people have asked you your whole career. Did you actually see Tupac? People don't think he was dead. 
Uh, why all of that sort of mythology around this um, in all these years that has built up? You know, I, conspiracy theorists are, uh, love that kind of thing. You know, with all the evidence that's right in front of them. I mean, I saw his body. He was dead. And they still think, oh, no, that's no explanation. Uh, you know, I don't know. Psychiatry is something that is way beyond my expertise, but maybe it's the way people want to deal with the death of a tragic death of some someone that they loved. Um, it, it was uh, it, it happens in a lot of high profile, uh, very well publicized deaths and um, murders. And um, you know, you're not you're not going to find conspiracy theorists talking about the pregnant Seven Eleven clerk who got shot over a $10 robbery that they're still alive on an island in the Caribbean. But, you know, that, that's, that's a whole different realm that uh, you yeah. just got to take it with a grain of salt, man. It's, it's like, no, he's, he's, he really is dead. He really is dead. And this guy, Phil Ramos, saw him, Michael Couture. Michael X says Tupac predicted his death. He sure did. Uh, so a lot of people are asking, you know, why now, uh, 27 years later, this is what um, – Marta Giacomo had to say the chief deputy district attorney in Clark County says what was lacking uh, Phil Ramos was admissible evidence to establish establish this chain of events. Uh, He said, noting that uh, Mr. Davis then began to describe his role publicly. He admitted within that book that he did acquire the firearm with the intent to go hunt down Mr. Shakur and Mr. Knight, otherwise known as Tupac and Suge. Uh, so did it? Is it the fact that he wrote uh, in his own words what happened that that came back to basically bite him in the behind? Well, you know that's certainly something to look at, but you got to read between the lines there. Um, I've known Mark many, many, many years. We've been good friends for a long time, and you read in between those lines, and that tells you exactly what the results of that search warrant were, and uh, whatever evidence came they came up with to put all these little puzzle pieces together to make one clear picture. Um, the fact that he says what was lacking was admissible evidence to establish this chain of events. Well, that's what was lacking, but obviously it's no longer lacking. So what what those little pieces of evidence are, uh, we won't know for a while, but um, everything that up to this point, up until the point of the search warrant was um, being told but not being elaborated on i'm sure now that's that's a different situation the scenario um, is is much more different than it was a year ago and they're spending all their time putting all these little pieces together uh, to have the good prosecutable case ready to go and and uh, and i can tell you da steve wilson is chomping at the bit to get to this one and uh, it's very rare that you see the actual da participate in in a trial and uh steve has said i'm going to be there he'll be there for the uh opening arguments and um and and you don't very often see the actual da presenting a case to a jury but it's going to happen here and phil uh you you know i'm sorry you know the uh judicial system in clark county better than just about anyone uh how soon if you had to guess uh do you think a trial could happen in this case if it does go to trial and there's no plea deal Oh, depending on how 
how many games a defense attorney is going to come up with, I would say probably a year away before a trial. Because, see, that's the thing about the grand jury. Um, there's two different ways to get a, a trial in front of a jury. One is through the grand jury system. The other one is through a preliminary hearing. Uh, grand jury is much quicker, more effective. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that if you're the target of the grand jury, you are given what's called a Markham notice. And in that Markham notice, you are told by the DA or the prosecuting attorney, look, we're presenting evidence against you in this particular charge, and you have the right to come down and speak on your own behalf. You can also have an attorney, but that attorney is not allowed in the proceedings with you. They have to stay out in the hallway, and if you have a question, you want to answer a question that one of the grand jurors uh, poses to you, you can go outside and speak to your attorney, but your attorney can't come into that into that room um, and help you answer the question. So the, the, the grand jury system here in Clark County is a really effective way to secure a good, solid indictment and uh, be ready for trial. I, I would say probably a year. A year. And uh, look at this. The uh, chief of everything, the wife, the one who does it all, uh, she is chiming in. I do think language and what words you choose can make a big difference. I feel like I'm being yelled at right now in my house uh, to call someone a gang member versus involved in gang activity versus being in a gang related shooting are all slightly different. I think that's a good point, COE. And I think that's what everyone on this panel is saying. It's what Jeff Wood said at the beginning. Uh, Tupac was not a gang member, but he was acting like a gang member and doing gang like things and got caught in retaliating. Uh, against someone, which then resulted in his death. So uh, by default, uh, I would say it was gang-related, even though he's technically was not in a gang, to make that clear. Uh, Jeff Wood, um, the district attorney, this guy Mark DiGiacomo, described Dwayne Keefe Davis, who's now uh, under arrest, as the on-ground, on-site commander who ordered the death. And uh, they listed what they found during the search warrant back in July. And I will read it to you, Jeff, and tell me the uh, relevance, if you uh, would. They found multiple computers, a cell phone, a hard drive, a Vibe magazine that featured Tupac Shakur, several 40 caliber bullets, and two quote-unquote tubs containing photographs and a copy of Dwayne Keefe Davis's memoir. Um I assume investigators are going to use all those uh, in laying out their case, right? Well, only if it if it if they're relevant to the actual case. <laughs> so you know, they found bullets based on the fact that he's a felon. He can be convicted now at the federal level for being a felon in possession of of, of ammunition. That's illegal, right? So, but. What was the weapon that was used to kill Tupac? You know, can they tie those? If, if you know, there are some instances that you can try and track based on some things, you know, do the bullets came from the same box of bullets? That's very hard to prove. I mean, I've seen them try to do that to say, okay, if a 40 cal was used to kill Tupac, were these bullets from that same box that were never used from 1996? Uh, that's going to be very hard, but you one of the things that they're 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 looking for, especially with computers and all, is they're going through their hard drives. Um, 
did he write something that gave even more details that's not in his book that talks about the murder? You, you know, he wrote a book, so all the computer, most people now, it's not a typewriter, it's they're typing on their computer. So what else did he write? You know, what's the drafts? How much details did he provide? Did he write notes to himself to help with his book? So all those things could have could, could have extra evidence that they will bring in to the trial. And, and again, they had probable cause to do that search warrant back in July. It's now the end of September. They went through all that. It's not easy to take several computers and I've made cases using these things, but you know, you take the computer, you download the hard drive, and then you have to sh shift through everything through that hard drive to find everything. And, and it's not easy. It takes a lot of work. So, you know, they wanted more evidence and I, I imagine they got it from everything they found and they're going to use what they found, which is relevant in the trial. Kathy, go ahead. Yeah. Detective Ramos, guess who was communicating with um, Keefe D for the last few years, helping him with his book and, and going on with all kinds of weird conspiracy issues. Um, the unnamed um, oh. uh, out of LAPD, he was in constant and he called me, he calls me periodically, not very often, but I heard from lots of people that, and that they were writing a book together. So I, you know, you know, I'm, I'm envious because you guys get to read that stuff. So when the trial, when everything happens, but he, he, you know, cause he was a conspiracy theorist and yeah. he may have helped him tool that. So all that's going to be on the, uh, uh, in the, in the trial and, 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 in, in the evidence, I would think just an interesting side point for you. Yeah. you yeah. Kathy, I wanted to come to you on this. This came up uh, Friday when the, the news first broke on our show. Uh, William M. says, STS panel, do you guys believe they are coming for Diddy next? There was uh, talk that P. Diddy actually was the one that orchestrated a lot of this um, and that he could be involved. What do you think of that? No, absolutely not. That That's part of the East Coast, West Coast, which that happened. East Coast, West Coast rap war happened at... Um, at a studio in uh, a quad studio in New York on in Manhattan when Tupac um, showed up to perform and and Biggie was there with Sean Combs his producer and 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 Tupac was there with his, with his homies and and Tupac walks in and he got shot you know and and the police only investigated it about a week it was a random uh, shooting because Tupac and his and his guys were walking up to Quad Studios to go go. He was going to back up for do backup for a singer, and they're just loaded with gold necklaces. So they walk in and and bracelets and everything else, and they they walk into Quad Studios and and they just yanked the jewelry off of him and Tupac reached into his waistband. He had a gun and he shot himself and Tupac, you know, shot himself in the groin area. And, and, um, and, and Tupac was doing court the, the next day. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that bad and he appeared, but he was in a wheelchair. So that is the uh, Genesis. So after that, Somebody, Tupac went to jail and in jail at Rikers, at Rikers, someone told him, 
hey, it was Biggie. Biggie was behind that shooting. And thus began the East Coast, West Coast rap war. And that is all it is. And it was in really a figment of Tupac's imagination. And and he believed it. But um, but it ruined their friendship because Tupac and Biggie were friends. He used to bring Biggie on the stage all the time because Tupac was bigger than Biggie at that point. So it uh, so um, it has nothing to do with the shooting in in Las Vegas. And P Diddy is a businessman, you know. He runs an incredible, um, you know, uh, uh, hip hop well, music, music uh, production company and has a college degree and has never been affiliated with gangs. So um, that, that's just old uh, rumors and people who try to solve something and try to figure it out in their own heads. There's no evidence pointing to any of that. And uh, someone was asking if we're going to cover this uh, when it goes to trial, if it goes to trial, if there's no plea deal. And uh, we will. We will be on it and we'll have this very panel back. Um, Kathy, back to you on this from Moan Bent, a friend of the show here. Do you all think Suge has given more information recently, too, to fill in the gaps? Do you think authorities, Vegas homicide detectives traveled to visit Suge in prison? Um, I, you know, Suge is an interesting uh, specimen because he he went out publicly and said, "Oh, it was the Crips who did it. It was, you know, uh, not uh, not, you know." Uh, and then he would name Sean Combs, Biggie Smalls, record producer, as doing it. And he came out with all kinds of weird stuff later. And of course, we all know that he he ran over a movie production, a movie producer. Not once, but twice he backed up and ran over him again and killed him because he wouldn't put him in his movie straight out of Compton. So um, he's uh, kind of a loose cannon. You can't believe anything he says. So I'd be surprised. Maybe there is something, but he never helped. I mean, Detective Ramos, what did they do? They they brought him in eventually. Finally, I think it was a month or two later, they brought him into the homicide unit and you know, I, I think Suge wanted to talk about the weather. So he wasn't happy. He wasn't helpful to them that day at all. So wow. I, I, that boy has not turned over a new leaf. He, he just, you know, Suge Knight just hasn't. And, and he's a little wonkers right now. So I don't, a little wonky. So I don't, I don't think he's, he's going to be any, of any help. I'd be surprised if they bring him in. Uh, Michael left. Puff set Pac up for sure. Go ahead, Phil. Um, in fact, recently we talked about this not too long ago. Uh, when all this started happening, when the search warrant was issued and all that, um, someone interviewed Suge and flat out asked him, said, Suge, you know, are you saying that even with this new evidence that's coming forward, I don't know what evidence they were talking about, um, you're still not going to say anything to the cops? And he said, hell no, I ain't saying anything to the cops. Yeah. So, so that'll, that'll never happen. That, yeah. Will, will never say anything. Um, but, He's not uh, believable. He isn't believable. You know. Yeah. Right, Jeff. I wanted to come to you on on this. So, in uh, his memoir, and I'll put it back up here, uh, Compton Street Legend. Uh, we're looking at the cover right here. Um, and Coe, if you can get the cover of Kathy Scott's book on Tupac, that'd be awesome. Um, here's Compton Street Legend by Keith. You don't want to be selling. You don't want to be selling Keefe D's book. 
Yeah. <laughs> You're selling his book right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but look, look at this line here real quick um, to you, Jeff Wood. Um, Dwayne Davis described the, quote, strict code of the streets that its participants, quote, unquote, live, kill, and die by. And he says... Tupac's and Biggie's deaths were direct results of that code violation and the explosive consequences when the powerful world of the streets, entertainment, and crooked-ass law enforcement collide, he wrote. Uh, Break that down for us a little bit. I mean, he, in his own words, is saying this was all gang-related, even though Michael Couture is telling us it is not. Uh, You're hearing from the Compton Street legend saying that it is, right? I can comment later, too. Okay. Uh, Jeff? You know, he's writing his memoir saying, look, he's a gang leader. He's a gang member, right? He proffered to this years ago uh, to get a reduced sentence in a case he was charged with. He he spoke. It just, as as the district attorney said, we have no evidence we can use in court right now. So this book is kind of what started reopening the case for the homicide units to go go to work because he's now admitting to these things. And, and you know, it's one of those and, – and, again, it comes back to what Phil said earlier, right? Just because he said it doesn't mean we can use it right away to get everything. We want to make sure we corroborate what he says. So – you know, I, I've always looked at it and said, okay, what he's saying is truthful here, and then what someone else is saying is truthful here, and then the, the real truth is kind of in the middle, right? So, I mean, I, I think he gave a lot of good information there, but the police had to do their due diligence and, and go out and do their work and corroborate what he said so that they would have enough probable cause to convince a judge to give them what they needed for a search warrant. And then based on that, based on the evidence they got from the search warrant, they will, were able to present evidence to that grand jury. It's what, you know, in the federal system, we do it all the time. And, and when you're taking it out of a, a district court to get to superior court, get it up higher in different states, you have to go in front of a grand jury and you have to say, here's my probable cause to, to the grand jury and say, this is why, this is all the evidence I've gathered to say that this person's guilty of this crime. And at the end of the day, when they presented that evidence, the DA will come back and say, grand jury, do you believe what we've presented to you is enough to indict the person for this crime? And they take a vote, yes or no. They return the vote of, we think he's guilty based on the evidence. Now, that's just probable cause. Now the DA is going to go to the trial and present a jury with the evidence, again, and prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he's guilty of this crime. But as I said earlier, at this point in the game, in, from 1996, the DA does not want to get egg on, on, the, on his or her face. It's a guy, obviously, so his face. But no DA out there, whether it's a man or a woman, at this point wants egg on their face on such a high-profile case. They're going to have their ducks lined up in a row to say we're going to be able to prove this in trial because they want to bring this case, close it out, bring justice to the family and, and, and everything. So, yes, they're using his, 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 his words from his book and his interviews 
Um, they just couldn't use anything he said back in his proffer. Yeah. Uh, Melanie says anyone that's been following this since 96 knows that Pete Diddy definitely is involved in it. Hopefully they pull his bank records followed by this. Uh, we're talking about the $1 million Keefe said Puffy offered to pay him. Uh, what is she talking about? Meaning Kathy Scott, Kathy, you want to respond to that and whatever else you wanted to say? Um, that, that came from the unnamed detective, mm. that million dollar offer and all of that. And he was working with Keefe D at that time. Um, so I'm not going to give him the credence of listing his name, but he's the one who put that out there and he put it in a book. And I don't know if that's in there too, that, that they're that big. And it, and it also came from, um, uh, the LA times and that reporter got fired for the story saying that, uh, Biggie Smalls was in Las Vegas at the time of Tupac's death and the million dollars was exchanged there and Diddy got it. That reporter got fired. They, you know, you don't see, uh, when you see corrections, you never see a, ret- a retraction, even though people like to call them retractions. They're not. They're corrections. They retracted the story. They took it off of the website and they apologized for it. And, uh, and that put that ridiculous statement out there. As for Suge Knight, um, I would imagine in prison, he's still a, um, blood. Um, uh, if you read the lawsuit with Valetta Wallace, because she sued the LAPD for not solving her son's murder, if you get into the weeds on that case, I don't know if you guys have, have read those, uh, all of it, I've read everything, um, they came to the conclusion and didn't put it any further, but they came to the conclusion that that... An LA, a former LAPD officer went and hired, um, paid, um, a guy by the name of Muhammad. It's all out there, uh, to go kill, um, to go, uh, kill Biggie Smalls. And, um, guess who gave that order from prison? It was, it was, and they've got him going in and visiting, uh, Suge Knight. But, and that, that's been out there. I'm not really seeing anything that nobody doesn't know but should Knight was the one who who put out the hit on um on uh biggie smalls um but they the lapd have opted not to push that case forward but um it's uh it's food for thought but it's out there anybody can search and and find everything i just said Uh, but so that's why because I wasn't going to talk about it, but that's why, why you know, Suge in, in prison right now, it's almost a joke, you know, for to anybody to take, take credence on anything that guy says. So um, I'm just saying, putting it out there. And you've probably heard that, haven't you, Detective Ramos? Yeah, a, a little bit. Not, that That's something that's just come up recently as far as the investigation goes i'm sure all kinds of stuff has been out there in the years prior but um it's in the affidavits yeah i, mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't think anybody's putting any stock in that exactly by the way there is kathy scott's book uh the killing of tupac shakur you see him there in that beamer uh the revised and expanded uh version are our sales picking up right now kathy with this uh 
news? I, I the, the publisher checked. He, he he contacted me, and yeah, their uh, sales are hopping like crazy. Um, and he's probably going to come out with a, a third edition. I'm not about sales; it's not who I am. But I'm I'm always always happy to have them. But but he's uh, he's he may be doing another. It would be the fourth edition, fourth and final, which would be nice to to do. I got to do it with the Susan Berman and Robert Durst book, and got to do a final edition when Robert Durst was convicted of, of her murder. So it's the same thing now. Put it to put it to bed and I don't have to write about it again. Wow. They're, these are big, big cases. Uh, Caroline Miller says good for Kathy. Um, Jeff, what to you? And then we'll wrap up in just a couple minutes. Um, this guy, Dwayne Keefe Davis, did an interview with a guy named DJ Vlad, who chronicles, you know, rap life. And uh, in speaking to him, he was, by the way, by the way, Dwayne Davis's nephew, who they had gotten to that fight at the MGM that fateful night. He died two years later in a gang related shooting. Uh, but um, in speaking to DJ Vlad, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis said that, uh, and this is a direct quote, Jeff Wood. They want to put me in jail for life. Speaking about this crime, he said, that's just something I got to do. Um, is that the general mindset of a gangbanger? Uh, I've always said we uh, or people, when I get asked a lot of questions about criminals, is people who aren't criminals don't think like criminals and, and, and it's a totally different mentality. So criminals have a totally different mentality than we do. And what seems completely out of the blue or something that's unbelievable is believable to a gang member. So yeah, I mean that, that's a, that would be a typical gangbanger type response to, to, to different things. But, you know, um, again, it comes down to, uh, when it comes to a gang member, you, what you and I would think is normal is is, is not normal to them, and, and and what we think would be abnormal is normal, right? So you, you just getting into the or delving into the gang world, it, it takes a lot of rethinking your mind, right? You know, um, one thing I always laugh about is it's not that I laugh; it's just. People say, Jeff, you're a gang expert. And I, I I don't I disagree with that statement of gang expert. The only experts in gangs are gang members themselves. I'm an expert in identifying, infiltrating, disrupting, and dismantling violent street gangs that have a negative impact in our communities. That so so in that sense, yes, I can if if you want to incorporate that as your gang expert, yes, then I meet your 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 definitions. But uh, a friend of mine, uh, he he teaches us a lot too, and he says the same thing. You know, no, no cop out there is a gang expert because we're not gang members. They're the experts on their lives, and and if you listen to gang members, they'll tell you that too. But it, the expertise comes in and is removing them from our communities to keep those communities safe. So yes, I I, I would agree that that's a typical type of we. Gang, gang members' response to a question. Uh, little Monster, can't wait to read it. Kathy Scott, she's going to buy and read Kathy's book. Uh, final comment and then closing uh, remarks uh, to you, Detective Ramos. Uh, 
So the DA, uh, Steve Wolfson, in the press conference says it has often been said that justice delayed is justice denied. But in this case, justice has been delayed, but justice won't be denied. Um, I'm curious, you know, I know you're talking to your friends, uh, your old homicide friends. Uh, Is there a sense uh, today of, you know, being triumphant, uh, even though the trial hasn't happened or a plea deal hasn't happened, but that, you know, it's finally like we got you after all these years. No, not really, because um, while it's nice to have one of the co-conspirators charged with this, you didn't get the actual shooter. Uh, And that's what that's what everybody wants to be able to say is, you know, the person responsible for your loved one's death is in prison. Um, But in this case, Strictly my view, true justice won't be served because the man who killed, actually killed Tupac, is dead himself. I, I guess in a way that's justice in, in one's view, but um, uh, the co-conspirator that was involved is going to face justice, but it's not like he got the shooter. Interesting take. That uh, doesn't surprise me coming from Phil Ramos, who's uh you know, a consummate homicide detective who wanted to get the trigger man, but this is the best they could do. I mean, everyone else is dead except for Suge Knight, who's in prison. A man who's not in prison, but put a lot of people there is Jeff Wood, retired FBI special agent out of Boston. You just heard him say he doesn't like to be called a gang expert, but he is. Uh, He knows more about it than most people and definitely more than Michael Couture, whoever he is. Uh, Both of Jeff Wood's parents served in Vietnam where they met and they had little baby Jeff who grew up to be a Big, bad, good, bad guy uh, serving the United States military. Um, Jeff, is this gang violence ever going to end? Is there anything that can be done? Can we educate young kids? Is it just part of the culture in the streets? Is there anything that's ever going to change this? I don't think we'll ever change it because if you go back, pirates were pirates were gang members on the on the seas, right? We had gangs for as far back as we can remember. Um, By the way, Ned Smith says Jeff is a hunk, too, on top of everything else. But go on, Jeff. Thanks, Ned. (laughs) But in my mind, when you have both good policing, where you go after the gang members who are committing the violence and you remove them, you see a reduction in in gang violence. you know, I, you, I was on your show several months ago and we talked one of the, my biggest cases that we did or one, one of my most memorial, memorable cases. Um, and we, I just remember, here's some statistics for what we talk about. Um, in 2010, I took out the Bloods, the Crips, some gangster disciples, Latin Kings, the neighborhood gang, and their drug dealers in a city. And six months prior to that takedown, we had 63 gangs in that town, in that city for a full year after that, you only had two. So it's, it's that work. And then working with, because right after we did the takedown, we worked with um, social justice type entities to to try and do work in preventing gang uh, from kids joining gangs and, and kids who were coming out of jail from, from, you know, the county or state prisons from going back to the gang life. And that's what helps lower violent crime for a while. But you can't let up. You can't just rest on your laurels after you do a case. You have to keep targeting 
gangs as they're coming back up so you can keep that level of violence down. So will it ever go away? I don't think so. Not until we 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 get back on track on trying to remove those violent criminals from the streets. Well put. Uh, the chief of everything chiming in. Hey, SDS Nation, if you haven't, please consider joining our YouTube membership or Patreon, especially you, Michael Couture. I know you love us and you love our show. We put out 10 plus hours of content a week and sometimes much more for free. We need your support to keep going. Yes, we do. Please do that. Uh, Michael Couture, if you're going to troll Space Coast, who's my brother-in-law and a dear friend and a musical genius, by the way, uh, spell leeching right. It's two E's in this sense, not L-E-A's. So if you're going to do that, at least spell it correctly. Thank you. Um, Kathy Scott, she's a Los Angeles Times best-selling author. Uh, she's super cool. I think she might be one of my new favorite guests here. No offense to Phil Ramos, but uh, Kathy Scott is a Los Angeles Times and New York Times best-selling American true crime author, and some people had the chutzpah, that's Spanish for cojones, uh, to say that these people don't know what they're talking about. New York Times and LA Times best-selling author and an investigative journalist who penned the biographies and true crime books, The Killing of Tupac Shakur that you're looking at, and also the murder of Biggie Smalls, two arguably the two biggest rap artists uh, of all time. And the books were bestsellers in the U.S. and the United Kingdom. You heard her say it's not about the sales, but sales are up because uh, this is an important story. And uh, she dedicated each book like a real good woman to the mothers of these rappers. And I don't know if Biggie's mother is still with us, but you mentioned Tupac's mother is no longer with us. Um Kathy, your final thoughts. Do you think this goes to trial? Is uh, Dwayne Keefe Davis going to finally get convicted for this crime? Oh, I think he's going to get convicted whether it goes to trial or whether he pleads out, as Detective Ramos said might happen. Um, I, I think the, you know, good on the Metro Police Department. Um, they, you know, uh, do, despite the a number of years that doesn't matter, they're bringing him to justice now and, and justice is being served. So I think it's, it's kudos to them. And I think it's a real feather in their cap that they've, after all these years, and it's, it's hard to go out there and get, you know, witnesses for a crime that's 27 years old. And so they've obviously been working their tails off and landing, landing, you know, documents and interviews and everything else and that goes into it. And so my congratulations to the Metro, Metropolitan Police Department in Las, Las Vegas for um, <clears throat> bringing this and, and uh, hopefully they will prevail. And, and I, I believe they will. Well, there's, a new sheriff in, there's a new sheriff in town, you know, that's what I like to say. And <laughs> because he was elected last year, because somebody said, what changed? I said, there's a new sheriff in town and, and good on them for, for looking on it and, and kudos. Cause you know, I, I, I applaud them for it. Excellent. Uh, STS, the chief of everything back. We're also looking for sponsors of any size. If you know someone who wants to sponsor STS, please put us in touch. Surviving the survivor at Gmail sponsors of all size is works. Joel hates to ask, but it must be done. Thank you. Uh, yes, I do. I do hate to ask, but uh, there you go. And then you've got uh, Dom's mom. Thanks for putting up with us. Joel and panel. It's been a hot one. Great show though, as always. 
couple of these coming in. Ramos is a fox. Oh, this is the wrong one, though. Uh, respect to the panel. And yes, Jeff is a honk. I second that. But Spitfire says that Ramos is a honk. And I start another one, I think, somewhere uh, that is of uh, a similar. Look at this. This is the one. little bit. I like my Scott Duffy, another FBI agent, but kind of crushing on Ramos, who doesn't. Uh, he is a retired Las Vegas homicide detective. He is Phil Ramos. He was present at Tupac Shakur's autopsy along with Michael Couture, our favorite troll of the day. Uh, in his three plus, was Michael Couture at the autopsy, uh, Phil Ramos? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had Sorry, I had to ask. Um, in his three-plus decade career, De Detective Ramos has also worked undercover narcotics and infiltrated the Cuban mob. He's a three-time Las Vegas police officer of the year and a uh, native Las Vegan. Do you think this goes to trial, Phil, or will there be a plea deal, and how does this all turn out in the next year and change? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's going to be a plea deal because um, – it, it it would behoove behoove him to to plead out because um, you never know what a jury's going to do. You may get you may get the max plea deal. You won't get the max. So I predict a plea deal. There you go. You heard it here first. Uh, we will get this esteemed panel back on for sure. Quick programming note: tomorrow night, uh, Rachel Morin. She's a mom of five. She was murdered on a Maryland hiking trail back on August 5th. And uh, by the way, Collier Landry, who we met at CrimeCon, great guy. Survivor Squad is his show. Uh, don't mess with the STS chief. Everything I've seen her in action. Yes, he has. By the way, Collier Landry has some big guns as he's uh, flexing the gun emoji there. And I mean biceps, not actual guns. But uh, check out Collier's YouTube channel. And uh, his dad infamously murdered his mother in what has become known as a murder in Mansfield in Mansfield, Ohio. Um, and Collier took the stand. At, I think he was either 11 or 12 years old. And he now has a podcast with Tara Newell. Um, and together, um, that is the Dirty John, Tara Newell. Uh, they have a show called Survivor Squad. So please check it out. Great podcast. And they are doing phenomenal work. And as I said, I got to meet him and Tara uh, at CrimeCon. But quick programming note, Rachel Moran, she's a mother of five. She was murdered on a hiking trail in Maryland back on August 5th. Uh, police have put out basically a bolo, uh, be on the lookout. They have a suspect who they basically caught through DNA, through CODIS, but they don't have an ID on that suspect. Thank you to Pam for the super sticker. So the killer is still at large, and they fear... Uh, that he could strike again, could even potentially be a uh, a serial killer. And tomorrow night, we've got uh, Rachel Morin's family attorney, a guy named Randolph Rice, and he's coming on with Rachel Morin's uh, sister-in-law. And so she will be here along with Scott Duffy, who is from uh, that kind of, kind of from that area. So he's going to fill in the gaps from the investigative side. It's going to be a very interesting show. And then Tuesday thousand kids missing in Ohio. What is that all about? Is that clerical mistakes on the part of law enforcement? Or is there something really sinister going on with child trafficking, which some are suggesting? We're going to look at that Tuesday night, and then we're going to figure out the rest of the week from there. So until then, love you, America. Love you, Las Vegas. Love you, Boston and Alabama. California. Until next time.
final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.